Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast dedicated to the lighter side of crime fiction. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host. On each episode, I interview an author writing cozy, traditional, or historical mysteries. You won't find mysteries with explicit sex or violence. You will find mysteries with high-quality writing, intriguing plots, and engaging characters. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Author Zach Bissonnette joins me in the corner today to chat about A Killing in Costumes, the first Hollywood treasures mystery. Welcome, Zach. Thanks so much for having me on. You have a terrific radio voice. I'm jealous. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Killing in Costumes is all about about the movies, though, isn't it? So it's it's the first in a new series. Uh, so would you please introduce us to your protagonists, Jay Allen and Cindy Cooper, and tell us what they're up to? So they they have a fun history. So they met in middle school, and then in their late teens and early twenties, they became soap opera stars together. And then they were actually so they played a husband and wife singing duo on a soap opera, and they were also husband and wife in real life, and they became pretty big soap opera stars. And then a couple years into that, they ran into a problem, which is they both realized that they were gay. And they ended their marriage and the publicity around that, around their being gay in the pretty conservative soap opera world at the time, torpedoed their career. What inspired you to choose former soap opera star as background careers for your sleuths? It's a funny question. So when I originally wrote this, I actually had them that they had been in ministry, like a television ministry, like a a, a sort of Joel Osteen type thing. And then I think an agent told me that it might be better to make them sort of secular entertainment people. And I switched to that and I, I actually, at first I was reluctant, but then I came to really like the soap opera thing more. I thought it was more fun, a little less, a little less heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Did, Did you watch soap operas back in the 90s? You know, I never did. I, in order to sort of have them be a little bit real, I read, a, I bought a coffee table book on the history of soap operas and I read that. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever watched a soap opera. So, uh, you know, uh, probably, I, I was probably derelict in my research on it, but, uh, but yeah. You, you don't know what you're missing. I was I was oh. pretty hooked on, on them in the in the 80s. I, I no so I want to watch the old General Hospital episodes because Ricky Martin was on them. Yeah, General Hospital was my was my favorite. We'd oh. we'd rush home right after school at three, and we had the uh, General Hospital crowd and the Guiding Light crowd, and I was I was Team General Hospital. Um, yeah, and, and you know, what I liked about using that for the characters is the connection that those stars have with the fans, and that that was one of the things that in reading about the soap opera world really struck me that the fans really feel a special connection with these daytime TV stars that is I think a little bit unlike a lot of other other forms of celebrity. And I, I liked, because I, I wanted, it was very important to me that, that Jay and Cindy have a charisma where people connect with them. I, I liked that about them and that their sort of business is that, and, and their sort of, I guess, special talent as sleuths is, is their ability to connect with people in a lot of ways. Now, your sleuths are in, are in a business, speaking of which, about 
connections, the the, the memorabilia business. Uh, and it, uh, at one point, uh, you know, Cindy makes the comment about uh, you know wanting those diehard fans who grow up to make enough money to then uh, spend a chunk of that money uh, collecting uh, the the things uh, that were important to them in their childhoods. What what do you think makes people uh, collectors? What what is it about uh, you know cards that makes you want to go buy them? 20 years later. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing on Hollywood memorabilia. So and I, this is included as an author's note in the back of the book, but I interviewed the head of the entertainment memorabilia department at Heritage Auctions, which is the biggest movie memorabilia auction house. And, and I did this interview after the book was, was the, the publication information was up on the site. Um, and so I emailed him to see if he could talk and he called me. And the first thing he said to me was, you know, I read your book, the, the description of the book, and my first thought is, it sounds totally realistic. Collectors are crazy. I could totally see someone killing someone over a piece of Hollywood memorabilia. And I think it goes to what you were talking about, the 20 years ago thing. Um, people form a very special, sentimental, nostalgic connection with their favorite films. I think in a way that's different from a lot of other collectible categories because it's so personal. And, and a lot of times the movies people are collecting are sort of their first memories of feeling a deep connection with something in the world. And so, and I think that that's a little bit different from things like coins or stamps or contemporary art, you, you know, whereas if you talk about, you know, I think the, the most treasured thing that sold for, I think one of the pairs sold for two and a half million dollars, like the ruby red slippers from the Wizard of Oz. And just that if you are someone who grew up inspired by that movie and sort of into the, the sort of Judy Garland thing and understood how special she was. It's hard to imagine anything that could have more meaning than, than those slippers for you. And I think that's why I liked it as a world for a mystery because you have these really high built in stakes because a, the stuff's worth a lot of money, but B and maybe more importantly, it's something that people really feel a tremendously strong connection with that can drive them to sort of acts of passion. I know uh, one, you mentioned the Ruby slippers. I know another um, movie uh, collectible that was in the news recently was uh, Marilyn Monroe's dress that she wore to uh, serenade uh, the yeah, late John, was, F, John F. Kennedy. <laughs> the big controversy with Kim Kardashian with that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. did, did you come across any, any uh, kind of controversies like that in your research where it was the, the tension between the, the, the more historians that want to preserve things and the, the collectors who just love the things so much. And then people who want to wear them for I guess, fame reasons. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing. So if, if you look back to the sort of origins of Hollywood memorabilia as a category, it kind of begins with the collapse of the studio system and kind of the, the, the sort of wreckage of MGM when that was going through restructuring in the late 1960s, I think, early 1970s, maybe even a little bit later. And Warner Brothers was selling off, or sorry, MGM was selling off their entire studio collection in the, in the memorabilia that, that would have ended up in a dumpster, except that these diehard fans and dealers came in and bought everything and then sort of spent decades fighting over it. So I think what's interesting about Hollywood memorabilia is as much as people want to kind of knock the kind of, of, of money and that kind of thing and, and, and the 
collectors and should this stuff be in a museum? It's like, if it hadn't been for the people who felt this emotional connection or wanted to make money with it, all this stuff would have ended up in a dumpster. Um, so I, I think that that's like an interesting, I think bit of context when people talk, think about that, that tension is that, you know, in the end, everyone who has a passion for this is involved in historical preservation and that there are different ways of doing that. And, and obviously people have strong feelings about someone wearing one of these costumes to to an event. And, and, and I get that, but that the bottom line is that all of these people are driven by a passion for these things and, and a desire to kind of further the esteem they have in the public consciousness. Yeah, it's 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 kind of painful to think that someone might have uh, you know just thrown these beautiful things in in the garbage. Yeah, I mean, but the, it's so much of what happened. I mean, it's it's one of the things that like so, so in in a killing in costumes where where the woman who's ninety years old, who's a former Hollywood star, who's disposing of a collection that she built over decades, um, you know, Jay and Cindy are asking her, you know, how did you manage to buy all this stuff? And she's saying to them, you know, that when I was getting this stuff, you know, in the 1960s, this was just garbage. You know, you know, people forget that these movies at the time were generally not seen as a serious art form. It's really only in hindsight that these, you know, that these sort of, golden age films are seen as great works of art at the time they were kind of looked down on and seen as kind of ephemeral detritus and you know disposable things and so people did not sort of hoard these things they, you know the, the dress that you know the judy garland wore on the trolley scene it, in meet me in st louis was not seen as an important piece of history at the time but now it is and and it's Speaking, Speaking of, of uh, uh, divas, your character, Yana Tosh, as you mentioned, is a 90-year-old uh, movie diva. Did any real-life movie stars inspire her character? You know, Debbie Reynolds a little bit because Debbie Reynolds was a um, big Hollywood, Hollywood collector who was trying to build a museum and was involved in all sorts of drama and scandals and, and financial shenanigans with that. So her collecting part was inspired certainly by Debbie Reynolds, but in terms of her personality, I was thinking more of like an Eartha Kitt, um, you know, who, who's Batwoman, um, you know, in, in terms of the kind of flirtatious, but intimidating style. I liked that. So, so yeah, I guess a little bit of Debbie Reynolds, a little bit of Eartha Kitt. Which is a, a brilliant combination, actually. Um, okay. I'm, yeah. I am a fan of Eartha Kitt. Uh, she still sings my, my favorite version of, of Santa Baby. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, she, she's terrific. She's just, no one sounded like her. For better or for worse, no one sounded like Eartha Kitt. <laughs> but I, I have to admit, I, uh, when I think of Debbie Reynolds, I don't think of Scandal. I tend to, well, f- of course, think Carrie Fisher, but um, you know, yeah. also think mostly of kind of that sort of a, Good girl, Hollywood, uh, uh, sweet star. It, um, I, I wouldn't connect her with Scandal. Well, yeah, it's so funny how, you know, they were so good about those. You know, the studio system at the time was really good at cultivating these images of celebrities. It's very different from now where you're kind of aware of the warts and all and everyone knows more than they would ever want to know about Justin Bieber. I mean, it reminds <laughs> me of a, a great line that, that Rock Hudson had about Doris Day 
um, someone at, and he said, you know, I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. So uh, <laughs> that is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> As, are are you a fan of of classic Hollywood movies? You know. <laughs> I'm much more a fan of the music of that era. I liked the um, movie memorabilia angle for the mystery. And I, and I think in some ways it, it was easier to write it from a little bit of a remove and a little bit of distance from being, you know, I'm certainly not as much of a fan of old Hollywood as, as Jay and Cindy are in the book. Um, but I, I, you know, I, my hope is that that keeps the book from getting too bogged down with with sort of trivia and history because ultimately like I wanted this, the entertainment in old Hollywood world is really sort of a, I liked it because of the intense energy that people have about it. And it creates a lot of, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, which you need even in a cozy mystery. But I think, um, you know, I wanted it to be something that, that would be fun and enjoyable, even if you're not a fan of old Hollywood. And uh, going along with the so the classic golden age theme, Agatha Christie makes a lot of appearances in your stories. And she's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, was was writing during. I mean, a lot of those classic movies were based on her books. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was fun to do that. And I know I used. I mean, the the Agatha Christie um, book and move and movie that I used a, a prop from is the centerpiece of this is the the Mirror Cracked, which is a an incredible movie if, 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 if you haven't seen it, but it's, um, it's cool because it's Angela Lansbury um, is, is in it and playing Miss Marple. And, and what's cool about that is that movie was not a hit. It was kind of a, a commercial and a critical flop, but Angela Lansbury's role in that is actually what led to the selection of her for, for murder. She wrote was, was they'd oh. seen in that. And, you know, so it's Angela Lansbury, Rock Hudson, Tony Curtis, and Elizabeth Taylor, but all of them kind of ten or fifteen years after the sort of height of their their commercial success. So it's it's an interest. I think it's a terrific movie. I think it's wildly underrated. It's it's tremendously entertaining. I think I have seen that. Now that you when you mentioned Liz Taylor, I think it's on BritBox. It may be. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's just terrific. Uh, do, do you have any other any other uh, favorite Agatha Christie's? You know, I, 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 it's it's such a cliche, but I, I, you know, people in some things I like to be an obscurist, but on Agatha Christie, Death on the Nile, Murder on the Orient Express, and then there were none. Murder of Roger Ackroyd. I think those are the best of them, and they're spectacular books. But those are certainly my favorites. It's not. You know, there isn't some sort of hidden Agatha Christie gem that comes to mind as my favorite. It's really the, the most famous ones, I think, are, are the best ones. So they're, they're famous for a reason. I would agree. Yeah. So did, did you find it uh, challenging or perhaps invigorating to sort of tie in, you know, uh, the, all these things like the, the real life movies and the, the real life uh, mystery novelist and sort of uh, you know, wrap all those into a contemporary cozy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of fun um to do the part because i think people like to learn a little bit while they read you don't you don't want to learn too much but it's cool to have a window into a world you're reading and you know my hope is that you know maybe people get a movie recommendation out of it you know if if one person watches the mirror cracked because they read a killian costumes i will have done my job 
or perhaps if one person goes to a movie memorabilia store and starts off on a journey of lifelong collectorhood. <laughs> yeah. Now, so one, I want to sort of deviate from a killing in costumes for a minute and ask about the great Beanie Baby Bubble. Oh my God! Mass Delusion and the Dark Side of Cute, which has to rank among the best book titles of all time. <laughs> what I'm is that so about? Happy. That's very. I mean, that's really. I, I don't know if you remember the Beanie Baby craze. I do. I, I might have might have bought one or two. Yeah, just yeah, one or two. Um, yeah, and so you know that book is the story. So I used to be a reporter before before I did this, and so the the great Beanie Baby Bubble is the story of the guy who created them, who went from nothing to a multi-billionaire based on two and a half years of an insane craze for Beanie Babies. And the story of, of the collectors who believed in this product. And, and I don't, a thing that I think some people who don't, who weren't there don't remember it, don't know is that Beanie Babies were a speculative bubble. People bought these thinking they were going to get rich because he would retire each piece and there were rare ones and there were all these variations. And, and in, in the early days of eBay, Beanie Babies were, were 10% of eBay sales. It, it was disclosed as a material risk factor in the early annual reports of eBay. So it's really a story about a speculative bubble in miniature. And then the kind of sorrow that came with all these people who really thought they were going to get rich on these. And then, of course, you know, they collapsed in value. And then the story of a sort of very singularly eccentric um, self-made tycoon. And as I, I just, I just love the concept of the dark side of cute. That's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. You know, th th there's a saying that people in the toy industry, a couple people told me this, that if you knew the people who made your kids toys, you probably wouldn't buy them. <laughs> it's a very cutthroat, nasty world. Um, it's funny. It's at some point, if if I keep doing books in this hooray for Hollywood store series, I, I may look to do one set at the intersection of the toy industry and Hollywood because the toy industry is endlessly weird for a bunch this, of reasons. <laughs> this is true, and there are definitely a lot of uh, Hollywood tie-ins in the toy industry. That was my thought. So that's, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I, I can, you know, research is a lot of work, and reporting's quite quite tired, although it's very invigorating. So. You know, if you can repurpose research for one thing for another thing, you got to do it. <laughs> well, I am sure that everyone is going to want to buy a Killian costumes um, because there's it's it's not dark; it's fun. Um, You're very kind. Right, even even with the murder, it, it it makes murder glamorous. That sounds terrible, but <laughs> I, that's a good tagline. I wish I'd thought of that. Makes murder glamorous. That's gorgeous. No, you should do. That's amazing. I love that. So where, where can folks buy a copy of, of A Killing in, in Costumes? Um, geez, I think any, any bookstore. It's out August 9th. And um, you, can, you can get it early through mysteryguild.com if you're a member. Um, but other than that, you know, I, my favorite bookstore, I have to be honest, is Murder by Book in Houston, which is murderbooks.com. I think is, is my favorite bookstore. But you can also get it on, on any of the online ones, including the one whose name I won't say. And it's, it's, it's always wonderful to support independent bookstores now. So important. I mean, people don't, people don't understand, I think, how tenuous this whole world is. It's like, if you love this stuff, you've got to support it. 
Although I did see a good news article about how I think another three hundred bookstores in day. You know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. This has not been an era full of great news, but that no. made me, that made me really happy. Yes, that 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 made me happy, and I think it will make people ha- doubly happy if they buy your book at one of those independent bookstores because your book makes people You're happy. Very kind. Oh, you're so kind. So what's what's next for you? You you kind of hinted it, maybe a second one in the series. Let's see, you know, I have lots of ideas, but I don't know yet. I, I try to work on one thing at a time. I, I don't, you know, I don't. I'm not a big fan of long term planning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where, where can readers connect with you to to see if if maybe um, you've uh, uncovered a new uh, Beanie Baby scandal or <laughs> zachbissonette.com is good or twitter.com slash zachbissonette. All right. Well, thank you very much, Zach, for joining me in the corner today and uh, giving us the, the inside scoop on your uh, killing in costumes, the first Hollywood treasures mystery. This was a ball. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Zach Bissonnette, author of A Killing in Costumes, the first Hollywood treasures mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.